Several years ago, I was obsessed with that song. Like in a weird way, like sort of obsessed, obsessed. Uh, it, was, it was a bit of a, I mean, a low period for me or whatever, a dark night, whatever you, whatever you want to call it. And there was something about that song. I don't even remember where I first heard it, if it was on the radio or a friend or some other way, but I just, I could not get enough. I mean, it was like, I would get home from work and I'd probably listen to it for like, like 10 times in a row for like a month. I mean, it drove, it drove Kelly insane. Um, I mean, it's just kind of a con. I don't, again, I don't know what it was. There's something about it that just, I just, I needed it. And, and as, as Patrick said, like this band, Dashboard Confessional, like I don't, I don't know anything about their, their faith or their, their background, really. Uh, and, and yet there was something there. Like, man, I, I want that. Someone to, to get me right. I mean, did you, did you catch the words? Let me read part of the lyrics again in case you missed it. He says, I, I own a sinner's heart, and I need my maker to cure me of my doubting blood and drain, of me, drain me of the sins I love and take from me my disbelief. I know it should come easily, but it remains inside of me. It battles and devours me. It cuddles up the side of me and whispers. It convinces me I'm right. Again, I don't, I don't know what they believe, but I absolutely know the feeling that they describe that longing, that, that sense of desperation, like somebody, like knowing there's a problem, would somebody just fix it? In that dark night, I wanted anything, anyone to get me right. And even, even just think for a moment about all of our daily efforts to get right. I mean, things that we do, the things that we engage in. I mean, no matter, no matter what you feel, like, or your background, or your beliefs, like, think about the things we do. Like, for example, I mean, we will do anything as a culture to be right, right? Just, just so people think we're, like, right versus wrong. Like, we, will, we don't even know how to disagree with people anymore. Like, we just yell at each other. Like, we hold our opinions as if our life depends on it because we want to, to be right. We have to be right. We want so badly to become right. We spend, Americans, we spend over half a billion dollars a year on self-help books. And we are the most medicated and therapized people in the history of the human world, right? And we're still the most depressed and anxious. And we want so badly to appear right. Maybe, maybe you're not worried about being, being right, or, but we want to look like it, right? We want to play, play the part. In fact, to, to quote Dave Ramsey, uh, we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't even like, right? We do. And whether it's money or not, like we, we want to play the part. We want people to think well of me. Whether, whether we're right or not, as long as people think I'm okay, for some of us, that's enough. And of course, we also want so badly maybe most of all, to feel right. And so we'll turn to food, alcohol, sex, money, stuff, entertainment, travel, work, success, even to rules. If I can just keep all the rules, like we will, we will do anything we can to at least get the feeling that we're okay or to at least help us forget that we're not. Man, we want to get right, don't we? And when I think about my messes, my sin, my loneliness, my endless strivings, who will get me right? Well, this question is as 
old as humanity itself. In fact, it's at the center of what's tearing apart this young church in the first century in a little place called Galatia. We've been, we've been studying this church and, and Paul's letter to them. It's one of, the, one of the first letters. Paul had started this church, right? And, and just, just after a short period of time, they're, they're going off the deep end because they're, they're wrestling. How do we get right? What do we, what do, we do? And, and we've, we've called this, this study, this series in Galatians, No Other, because there is no other gospel, no other good news but this one. That there's only one way to get right. How? Well, the answer is found at the very center of the gospel message itself. And so if you have a Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 3. It's at the heart of this letter that everything Paul is getting to, is, it's, this is such an important piece. So Galatians 3, if you don't have a Bible, we'll have it on the screen uh, as well here in a, in a moment. But, but the first thing that we, we learn from their story is that we humans, we will do anything to get right. Whether you live in the first century, you live, we'll do anything, right? I mean, think about this. Like, think about this. Some people there in this, this church in the first century, even as adult men, even in a world before anesthetic, were willingly being circumcised and giving up bacon. I mean, right? All just to, to get right. I mean, talk about, it. Talk about extreme here. And, and so immerse, immerse yourself in their, their world for a second. Again, first century. And, and this is a world in which every Christian is a new Christian. Right? The church is brand new. Jesus, like, he just sort of resurrected. Like, they're, they're getting, getting their mind around it. Every Christian is a new Christian. And up to this point, essentially, all of them have been Jewish. Jesus was Jewish, the disciples, the apostles. And, and that's how the church began, began to spread initially. But Gentiles... Okay, so that's non-Jewish people, like probably most of us in this room, right? They began to hear the story of Jesus, and we're like, well, well, I want that. Forgiveness, transformation, victory over death. I mean, that sounds like a pretty good way to get right. And so for the first time in, in human history, I mean, seriously, the first time people of different ethnicities are gathering together on purpose, sharing life together, eating meals together, worshiping together, loving one another. I mean, this had never happened before on the planet. But at the center of the gospel is that anyone, anyone can enter God's family based solely on what Christ has done. But in this church in Galatia, a few people started adding to it. I mean, yes, Jesus is great and all. Don't, don't get us wrong. We love Jesus. You need Jesus. But if you really want to follow Jesus, if you really want to be a Christian, you also have to become Jewish. You have, you have to do that first. So snip, snip, right? And, and all the other rules, like you have to do that first. I mean, essentially, if you think about it, what they're saying here is you have to get yourself right in order for God to make you right. Like, you gotta, you gotta do some of your own work, clean up your act a little bit, you've, you've gotta meet him halfway, and then Jesus will, will mean something to you. Then he will rescue you, and Paul is outraged. I mean, in none of his letters, right, is Paul more angry than this, because they're missing it. Like, like are, you, are you, is Jesus not enough? That you, you have to do these other things? And so turn, turn back a page to, to chapter two. Because this is such a good summary of what Paul is getting at throughout this letter. Chapter 2, verse 15, he says, We know that a person is not 
justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And that word justified, it's really important to Paul. It's really important to us. In fact, it shows up over and over in this section and throughout, throughout Galatians. And, and we, we sort of know what that word means, particularly in the, in the realm of like self-justification. Like that's how we tend to use it culturally today. It's like our attempts to prove ourselves right. And so example, I had a salad for lunch, so it's okay for me to eat the entire pizza later for dinner, right? I mean, I'm, I'm an expert in self-justification. That's what we do. We're, we're really, really good at it. And it's sort of that, but what Paul is saying is different. It's not us doing the justifying, it's God. It's a, it's a legal term, and, and the question behind it Paul is raising is who is, who is going to declare you right and good? Is God going to do that? Or is he going to declare you guilty? I mean, even just wrestle with that for, for yourself. Will, will God declare you right or wrong, innocent or guilty? Like if he were here right now, what would he say about you and me? right? Now, now, when many of us hear this, I think we tend to go in, in one of two directions. And for, for some of you, when you hear like, that God is going to judge, some of you immediately go, well, that's, that's not going to happen. I mean, come on, right? This is the 21st century. It's not going to Either there is no God or God, he's not that involved. He doesn't, he doesn't really care that much. And so we, we dismiss it altogether. But listen, if that, if that describes you, if you're just going to dismiss this, what, what that that doesn't eliminate your desire to be declared right. For someone to say that you're okay, that your life matters, that you're good enough, that, it's, it's gonna, that it, it matters. And what, what, what it does instead is it puts it all on you. So now it's, it's your responsibility. And so, so either you, you'll spend your life looking to others to tell you you're okay, and be crushed under the weight of their expectations, which seems really fun, right? Many of us do that. We look for everybody else. Their voice matters most. Tell me I'm okay. Or maybe that's not you, but you'll be stuck trying to do it for yourself. Justification as a choose-your-own-adventure, which sounds like freedom, right? We can, we can push off God's laws. God doesn't exist, or he's not really paying attention. We can do whatever we want. We can decide for ourselves what's, what's right. It sounds like freedom, but listen, that ends in either despair or arrogance, because I'm, I'm convinced part of our depression and anxiety epidemic is that we have nothing left to live for except for whatever we invent to be worth living for. I mean, that, that's essentially what, what we've done, right? And who can handle that pressure? I've got to decide what to give my life to? Like, there's no, there's no guidance for that at all? So do I, I mean, do I live for career? Do I live for family? Do I, do I live for my spouse or for free sex, right? We, I, I'm supposed to follow my heart, but I don't even know what my heart wants half the time or it wants, it wants competing things. Like it's so much pressure. It all depends on you if this is the path you're going to take. You've got to figure out what matters. You better be right. And then you've got, you've got to give your life to it fully. Despair is right around the corner there. Or, or perhaps worse, <laughs> we actually delude ourselves into thinking we are right. We've arrived, we've found what's meaningful and good. We pat ourselves on the back and we become arrogant and smug. We judge others, we look down on everyone else. Or, 
So that's, that's one way. Or, or maybe, maybe when you hear, will God declare me right or wrong? Maybe you're like, yeah, okay, God's going to do that. But you begin immediately scanning your record. And that's, that's a temptation for most of us probably who've, who've been in church any length of time. We, we go to that like, well, I, I think I'm good enough, right? Like I go to church, I'm a decent person, I don't do those things. I've, I've done this and that. And we kind of look at our, 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 tr- our track record and we just sort of hope our good deeds outweigh our bad. But friends, that also leads to either despair or arrogance. I mean, despair for those of us who are self-aware enough that we know ourselves, like if you really know the mess that you are. I mean, even just think, for example, like what if, what if every thought you ever had was broadcast live for all to hear? What if that was the world we lived in? Are you kidding? I mean, there, we wouldn't, none of us would be here. Like, we'd self-destruct long ago. Like, can you imagine a, a world like that? But the holy God hears all of them. He sees everyone. I mean, Paul, he's not saying here that rules or the law is bad. He's just saying that we are just lousy at keeping it. Like, we can't possibly measure up to these standards. And so despair on the one hand... Or again, same thing, right? You'll actually convince yourself you are good enough. You'll pat yourself on the back for arriving, and then you can, you can become a smug monster of religious superiority, demanding that certain people cut off parts of themselves, right? Like these folks in Galatia. It's not great, people. And so, in other words, I think what Paul, what Paul is getting at here is that there, there are two ways that we try to get right on our own. You can take the religious way and do your best to keep all the rules. Or you can take the irreligious way and shrug off the rules. Follow, follow your heart, make your own way. And really, what you're going to do is you're going to invent your own rules, right? You're going to make new ones for yourself. But regardless, both attempts are attempts to save ourselves and to get ourselves right. Both land entirely on our own ability. And both will either crush you with despair or smug self-righteousness. And so, of course, Paul's like, do you, do you really want to do that, church? Like, if those are the options, like, really? And so let me read in chapter 3. I'm going to begin with verse 1. I'm going to actually read it of the paraphrase of the mess, from the message. I like the way Peterson sort of translates it here. It kind of gets the punch a little bit. He's, so Paul writes, you crazy Galatians, did someone put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened, for it's obviously that you no longer have the crucified Jesus and clear focus in your lives. Let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God? Or was it by responding to God's message to you? Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. Paul's just like, really? This is the path we humans are going to pick for ourselves? Maybe maybe think of it a little bit like this. I, I just finished remodeling our bathroom. Not because I like doing that work, uh, nor because I'm particularly good at it. No, uh, that's not it at all. Believe me, I'm not. Uh, it's because I'm cheap. 
That's it. Um, and that's, that's all. Uh, and so, you know, I, I started the project by demoing a bathroom that I had built eight years ago, which is super fun, right? But eight, eight years ago, I finished our basement, I put the bathroom in there, and I hated it ever since, right? And so finally, I just got fed up and ripped the thing out. So, I mean, that's a great way to start a project, right? This was, this was awful. Uh, and, then, and then, like, I'm naive enough to think, well, this time I'm going to do better. Like, why would I think that? Like, I've not gone to trade school. Like, I'm not practicing these things, but, you know, I've convinced myself, well, this, this time it's, it's, going to, it's going to be better. And, and you see, I've, I've got a unique skill set. I'm a perfectionist on the one hand. Uh, and on the other hand, I have no skills. Um, <laughs> and so you, you put those together, right? And it means that everything takes forever and nothing ever looks as good as it's supposed to, Right? It's really fun. And now, now if, if, you were, if you were to see it, it looks fine. I can, you probably wouldn't even notice anything. It's, it's all right. You, know, you might even be a little bit impressed. I'm a pastor, after all, and I did this. So, I mean, you know, cool your jets, all right? Um, but I tell you what, I may never use that bathroom again. <laughs> because every time I walk in, like, it doesn't, for a second, I'm like, oh, dang it. Should have done that differently. Um, I see every imperfection, every, every blemish. Like every time I walk in forever, I'm just going to be reminded of my own failure. Super fun. And I feel, I feel like it's a metaphor for how I live. Always building and never satisfied. Perfectionistic in my ideals. Mediocre in my abilities. I build one thing, tear down another. Constantly reminded of my shortcomings. Desperately asking the question, who will make me right? Paul tells us. He couldn't be more clear. There's only one way to get right. There's only one way. And it centers around this idea of, of the gospel, the, the good news message about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, what that means for us. And, and for many of us, though, if you've been in church any long time, many of us think of the gospel, the good news, as the doorway into the Christian life. And like, once you walk through the door, you better, you got to get to work, right? Because you're a mess, and you got to start cleaning things up, and you got you to like, you walk through the door, but you got to build your own house. But the reality is what Paul's saying is, is that the gospel, the good news message of what Jesus has done, it is not the doorway, it is the house. Like, it, it's everything. All that we have, all that we are, all of it is his, and, and he will do it right. And it centers around this strange word, justification. What does that mean, justification? Well, let's, let's talk about three things with this. First, first justification means Jesus did for you what you could never do for yourself. You can't build the house. But he can. And he wants to. But no, no amount of good works or finding your own way, right? Creating your own rules, your, a different set. None of it, none of it works. We can't make ourselves right. And so, for, for example, look at verse 10 of chapter 3. It's, it's complicated, but let me read part of it, and then I'll try to explain a little bit. But what Paul's getting at here, verse, verse 10, he says, For all who rely on works of the law, that means 
Those who try to get themselves right, right, who try to prove that they're good enough, who try to earn it for themselves. Again, you can take the religious path or the irreligious path, but if you do that, Paul says, you are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Skip to verse 13 then. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written in Deuteronomy, actually, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Okay, again, I know a lot of words there, but what Paul, what Paul is saying is that building, building life on your own, whether, whether it's these laws or the ones that you invent for yourself, if that's the life you choose, it is a curse. And it will, it will destroy you. It will take everything from you. And, it's, and Paul is not saying that rules are bad, right? Or that the law is bad. It's, that it's, it's, just, it's terribly inadequate at fixing us. Like the problem is too deep for these superficial things that we live for or try to tell us that we're okay. They're not, they're not enough. I mean, think about it. You can't even obey your own rules. More or less God's rules for you, right? And so Jesus, Paul says, became the curse for us. It's a really interesting thing that Paul does here. He's referring to this Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy because the Old Testament says that anyone who's, who's hanged on a tree is a curse. He's, he's abandoned by God. And Paul's kind of poking at that. He's like, well, wait a second, guys. How can Jesus be the chosen Messiah of God and also be cursed and abandoned by God? Well, it's because Jesus took the curse that we deserve upon himself. He became the curse for you and me. He took our, our sin, our punishment, our endless strivings, the things that will never be enough, that will never satisfy. He took them upon himself to get us right. Which, which if you really think about it, is one of the most beautiful and infuriating aspects of the gospel. We'll get to the beautiful part in a second, but that, that should make you really uncomfortable to think that Jesus did for you what you could never do for yourself. Because what that, what that means is that you can, you can never hold it over another person, anything. Because, like, you're that much of a mess. That the only way, I am so broken, the only way I can be healed and rescued, the only way to get me right is for God himself to die on a cross. That is humiliating. It's humiliating. And so I, I, have, to for, I have to forgive my spouse. I have to be patient with my kids. I have to be respectful to those who are different from me. Like, I have nothing to stand on on my own because he did for me what I could never do for myself. That's infuriating, isn't it? But it's, it gets worse. It's also infuriating because it means you can't earn anything from God. Which means you cannot make demands of him. Like, you can't say, hey, Jesus, I really thought the house would have room for blank. You mind adding that in? Like, like this doesn't work, right? If, if it's grace, if it is totally on his own merit and not ours, we cannot make demands of this God. All we can do is give him our lives and submit everything we have to him. It's infuriating. It's also beautiful because you see what this, what this means. And this is the second thing. Justification means that through Christ... That God sees you as right and good now, today. Right now, if you're with Jesus. 
That's how he sees you. If he builds the house of your life, you better believe he's proud of his work. And that's, that's you. Do you believe that? If you're with Jesus, God looks at you right now with nothing but delight. You are loved. You are worthy. You are good. You are beautiful. You're accepted. You're whole. That's how God sees you right now if you're with Jesus. I mean, for example, um, it's sort of like going to the, uh, the fifth grade strings concert. Hang with me here. Um, did a couple weeks ago. Uh, and let me just say, it was not Yo-Yo Ma. <laughs> Leave it at that. Um, but I couldn't stop smiling because my kid was up there. Loved it. So proud. It didn't matter, right? It was, it was awesome. And, and to think, like, do you believe that that is how your heavenly father sees you? I mean, he knows we're not playing Yo-Yo Ma down here, right? The way we live, he knows. He's, he's, he knows. But he looks at you as a, as a proud father looks at his child. Says, that, that one is mine. She, he belongs to me. And he takes delight in you. Because that's, that's what justification literally means. Declared righteous. The God of the universe looks at you and says, you're right. You're good. You're whole. You're beautiful. You're mine. And we'll, t- we'll talk more, for example, about Abraham next week. We're, we're going to unpack this more and how does the law work and, you know, all those kinds of things. You know, that's next week's problem. Um, but verse, verse 6, though, Paul does refer to Abraham here. It's really important because um, this, this is the example he gives of these things. Abraham's all the way back in the Old Testament, like the beginning of the beginning, like way, way back in Genesis. But look, look, look what Paul says. He says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of, of faith. Again, a lot of words. Paul's, Paul's doing a lot here. He's, he's pretty, pretty brilliant. Um, but basically, he's saying that, you know, Abraham, like he, he was essentially the first of the Jewish people. He was the first to be circumcised, like the, the first to say, yes, this is the way I'm going to follow God, right? But, but, but Paul, Paul is said, like, Abraham was a bit of a mess, too. Like, if you know his story, he did not have his, his stuff together. And Paul knew that his readers would know that. And yet there in Genesis, even before he circumcised, in Genesis, first book of the Bible, it basically says Abraham believed God, and God put that in Abraham's account as righteousness. That God looked at his faith and said that counts as goodness, wholeness. That by, by faith he was justified. And what Paul's doing is like, this is God's plan from the beginning. Like all, all the way back to the beginning, the only way to get right. I even love how, how Paul says it, like that God himself preached the gospel to Abraham. Long before Jesus showed up, like, Abraham, this is good news. It's good news for you, and you're going to be this good news. You're going to bring a blessing to all the nations, Jews and Gentiles alike, everyone together, because God wants a a huge family. And he's he's preaching the gospel to Abraham, and and that those of faith, not of Jewish descent, not of circumcision, not of rule following the law, those of faith are welcomed into God's family. And that's, that's us. God's verdict on you has already been announced and you have been declared righteous. 
not guilty. Beautiful and loved. Forgiven of everything you've done or left undone and, and will yet do wrong. All of it. And it's, it's not just forgiveness. I mean, forgiveness is a big deal, right? And that's, that's huge to this. But sometimes, sometimes we think that in the gospel, God gives us a clean slate. I mean, I tell you what, I could use a clean slate, okay? I'm not, I'm not making light of that. But you know what I'd do with a clean slate? I'd wreck it. Like by tomorrow, it'd be scribbled all over the place, right? I, I'm, I'm no good with slates. But what the gospel does, it's not, just, it's not just a clean slate we're given. It's Jesus' slate we're given. And so everything good that he did, we get credit for. Every bit of his obedience and love, all of his purity and joy, all of that goes into our account through faith in him. On the cross, I mean, it's the most incredible transaction. We give Jesus all of our sin, every bit of it, and he gives us all of his goodness, all of his perfection. And so God looks at you. If you're his, God looks at you right now, and he sees someone as good and beautiful as his, as his one true son, Jesus. That's how we can be adopted into this family. That's how we can be brothers and sisters with him. And so if you're his, the house is already built, and it's good. You're forgiven, and you're loved. I've heard it said from a psychiatrist that if I could just get my clients to believe, to truly believe they are forgiven and loved, it would heal like 80%, he said, of their problems. And this is what God says about you. My failures no longer define me. My good works, my best attempts don't define me. And my God will never leave me, never condemn me. And never do I have to wonder whether or not he loves me. For I have been justified. Of course, some of you are probably thinking, yeah, but Nathan, you're still kind of a mess. Yeah, I, I get that. And maybe you're thinking that as well. It's like, okay, I, I understand all this, but we, we see the house of our lives up close and personal, and it's, it's not pretty. And we know, man, I, I, could use some, I could use some work, some remodeling in here. But that's, that's the third thing, that with Jesus, justification also means that the Spirit of God is making you right and good today and forever. This, this whole thing means God's not done with you yet. He's declared you right, and he will build you right I mean, did, did you notice early on all the, the emphasis in this text on God's spirit in the passage? Back, back at the start of, of chapter three, right? He sa said, did, did you receive the spirit, like the Holy Spirit, God's spirit? Did you receive him by works of the law? By doing your stuff right or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Friends, if you are with Jesus, there is a day coming when you will no longer... We no longer reach for another drink to make you feel like you need to be okay. Or, or no longer go after a little bit more money or a little bit more success or one more trip through the buffet line because that's going to make me happy, right? That'll, that'll do it. That'll satisfy. Like a day is coming. We're not, you're not going to turn to porn again to feel loved. You're not, you're not going to try to obsess over the control in your lives and the things that you can't manage and feel all out of, out of whack. You're not going to yell at your kids, even though you've promised yourself so many times, I'm not going to do that again. Like friends, that, if you're with Jesus, that day is coming for you. And that day can begin now, today, in us, through his spirit at work. 
That's, that's what Paul is pushing for. Like, it doesn't have to be this way. Like the best, the best path to living right is knowing deep within you, believing with every bit of who you are, knowing that you have been declared right, that you have nothing left to prove, nothing left to fear, nothing left to hide, because he has done it for you. In fact, back in chapter 2, verse 20, Paul said, I love this. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's only one way to get right. So let me ask, how are you going to do it? You want it. I want it. How will you get right? Trying harder? Running faster? Going after one more thing? Like this one, this is going to do it. I know it. It's going to make me feel better. Endlessly building and tearing down and rebuilding. Or will it be through simple faith in Jesus Christ? Who loves you and gave himself up for you who wants you so badly that he left heaven to come here and be with you. That's all it takes, Paul says. Trust in him as the only one who can get you right and daily learning to trust him more. George MacDonald, he's a poet uh, way back when, and C.S. Lewis, they, they, they take this metaphor one step further. I love it. They both kind of use it together. Um, they say, imagine, imagine yourself as a living house. That God, God comes in to, to rebuild that house. And at first, at first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. You know, he's fixing leaks. He's ripping up the nasty carpet. He's remodeling the bathroom that I built. Um, and you knew those jobs needed to be done. There are obvious things in your life. Like, like if Jesus comes in, he's got to do, do a few things, right? You know that. But then all of a sudden, they, they push this metaphor a little further. They said, he starts like tearing down walls out of the blue, like raising ceilings, and it, it hurts, it's painful, and like, you didn't ask for this. It's like, what on earth is he up to? You see, he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. After all, he himself lives there. And he, he will get you right. Let's pray. Oh God, would you do this work in us? God, I pray, I pray that we would see, all of us, those of us who are Christians and maybe have been here for a long time and those who aren't, but are, are at least open to it, Lord, I pray that we would see all of the ways in which we run to make ourselves right. God, so many paths, so many things that we turn to. God, would you help us to see them and see how inadequate they are? God, I pray that we'd be fed up with the foolish ways, the foolish things that we give ourselves to. And God, that we would give ourselves to you. But God, that's the work that you have to do. And so Lord Jesus, we pray that through your spirit, you would do that in me, you'd do that in all of us, that we would run open arms to a father who's, who's longing to welcome us home. Let us do that now, we pray. Amen. Ah, amen. Jesus paid it all. And what, what that means, what that means is that at the cross, Jesus didn't offer a down payment that we then add to and complete through our obedience and through our good works, but that what he declared from the cross when he cried, it is finished, it is actually something he meant. And that we who are in Christ Jesus now live under that banner 
that says, by my work and that alone, you are declared a forgiven sinner, but more than that, you are dearly beloved child. That is the good news of the gospel. That is the, the depth of this beauty of this difficult word called justification, that on the basis of Christ alone, we are declared righteous. And that, that, that empowers us to live a right life when we know and believe and live into the reality that we've been declared right. Because the law and our, our effort to justify ourselves says, do this, and it's never done. But the gospel of grace says, trust in this, and it is completely done. And that is the banner that we want to live under. That is the banner we want to de- believe and declare as we leave this place and enter into the places God has called us living with this freedom that comes in the gospel. And so as we leave this place, as God sends us into our communities, our homes, our schools, and places of work, hear these words as our benediction or a good word for the road. Brothers and sisters, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Amen. Go in peace of that truth. Have a great week.